2: plushcare.com slash weight loss. Uh, what are you looking for? Whiskey, Whiskey Street.
0: <laughs>
3: oh, Lawrence is about I to get logged. I can tell you
0: logged. from the maps if you want. Well, that's the intro for the uh, podcast. It's Thursday, which means it's time for the front Three and podcast with me, Adam Boltwood, alongside, as always, Dave O'Brien.
1: Hello, hello, hello. Uh,
0: Chris Henich. Evening. And Lawrence McKenna, who's outside.
2: Again, Ooh,
0: isn't it great when i out on the streets? Sound about. Can walking and talking. Traffic? Can just about it. Out here. I'll tell you, the football emotions are running high. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for listening. On today's podcast, we'll be talking all the UEFA Champions League quarterfinals action, including the scandal of the Bernabeu, Cristiano Ronaldo reaching 100 Champions League goals. We'll also be discussing whether it's the end of an era for Barcelona and, of course, brave Leicester, as they'll forever be known. Being beaten by Atletico Madrid, who reached their third semi-final in the competition within four years. Incredible stuff. So much to talk about in part one before. In part two, we're doing the Q&A, as always on a Thursday. You provide the Q's, we provide the A's. That's how it works. Uh, before we get into all that but exciting stuff, it's time for the whole of the week, guys. Quite a few reviews this week. One coming in from Bobby from the UK. His review is more of a question. We'll save that for part two. Um, Gus Turner, also from the UK, left us a five-star review. Said he's loving the podcast at the moment. Proper football analysis. Mixed with cracking chats. Really good chemistry between you four, which is really natural. Natural chemistry. You've got to like that. Um, But this week's hold of the week is Soccer Jose 1 from the United States of America. The review is simply titled OGs. And goals. Own girls. Could mean own girls. Could mean uh, original gangsters. Few too
2: many OGs. Yeah, yeah, I don't think
0: to he's gangsters. Yeah, gangsters and us don't belong in the same sentence. But uh, he said, I've been following you since Football Daily, and ever since I've been hooked. All of you give me something to think about every week, or a different way of looking <laughs> at things. Y'all should definitely come out with that political podcast, though. Uh, I listen every week and enjoy all the stats from my boy Dave, and deep critical thinking from Lawrence and Chris. And of course, Adam is the best host by far and away I've ever listened to. Uh, I feel like a family member of mine might write this. Uh, Anyway, much love from Florida and keep it up. P.S. Can't wait to see one of you, one of you with blonde hair. So there you have it. Thank you very much, Soccer Jose. Um, If... I can get my hands on Ferrero Rocher in the United States and send it on to you. I will do that. You've earned it, mate, with that lovely review. So thank you very much. A very special shout-out as well to Piotr Gala, at Peter the Polish, long-time listener, friend of the show, I think it's fair to say, who uh, DM'd us on Twitter, sent us an absolutely lovely message, an emotional message. Just want to say thank you, Piotr, for the nice message. Get well soon, pal. Thanks for listening. Truly appreciate it. Pleasure to have you in the hole. He is the hole. He is the hole. Guys... Let's get down to it, the UEFA Champions League quarter-finals, first up Barcelona, nil, Juventus, nil. The Catalans needed three goals to at least send this one to extra time, Dave. They failed to do so against a resilient defensive masterclass from Juventus.
1: Yeah, it was a, a very good performance from the, the back four. Um, You know, Chiellini was absolutely fantastic. But I think it's, it's to do with Barcelona and their inability to hit the target. They only had one shot in the entire game that was on target. So one of these things where there was a bit of wayward finishing. Lionel Messi had two great chances within the penalty area. But credit to Allegra and how he's set up this Juve uh, team to counter-attack when it needs to, to sit deep and to defend for its life. And that's what we saw... Last night was just a supreme performance from their back four, and again, it's it's credit to Allegri. But it is a bit sad. I wanted this Barca team to go on to win. It was a nice fairy tale. But I think all the sides that are left in the tournament, I'm a fan of, so I'm a, I'm quite happy. And obviously, you they do play a four four two shape in defence, so the four four two is back in trend. Four,
0: four, what do you
2: think four, makes five, it a fairy tale? Two, what do you think makes it a fairy tale? Because Really, it was a, the, reason it's, the reason it's a comeback is because the team originally wasn't working very well, still isn't really working as a system. And it's sort of a bit beyond it now or sort of presents in that way. I, I'm kind of glad they're out because their dominance is over and we can have someone else who's right, much more interesting teams in terms of story and narrative. They, they almost tried to spend their way to where they are now. And there's nothing magical about that.
1: There is magical. There's magic in a 6-1 comeback, though, Lawrence, in the Champions League. That was yeah, beautiful. That's all we need. To do. they've, they've done it. Go now. You've had your final. Get off.
0: Before, uh, before we talk a little bit about Barcelona, I want to focus on the winners, Chris Juventus. As Dave said, their supreme defensive performance. I think it was 50 clearances in total they had uh, throughout the game. Um, of course, uh, they reached the final in 2015 recently, but they haven't actually won the European Cup in 21 years. It's not hard, though, to see why they are many people's favourites for this year's title, no?
3: Yeah, because they're defensively organized and I and I'm I am loath to call it a, a defensive performance because it really wasn't. I think what Juve did was game manage the situation across both legs. They realised what Barcelona's weaknesses were and exploited them to, to devastating effect. That's the thing about this Juventus side and you could argue even the Lippy sides of the mid nineties and the one that won the the title. Is they were pragmatic, which it is becoming an increasingly common theme for us. Discussing managers succeeding who are able to adapt to situations and and mold their team more to exploit the weakness of an opponent than overpower them with their specific strength. I mean, that's that's what Lippi did in in '96 with Ajax. He, he identified um, what Van Hall's weaknesses were: the fact that he was limiting his side's creative freedom with his his style and then built something that, that could take it on. So for for me, I think Juventus are definitely a, a front-runner in this now. And I say that also because they've got Paulo Dybala, who I don't think there's many better players left in the tournament at this point um, than him. I think he's a, a a real sort of... I said he's like a more refined Tevez after the first leg, because I do think he has more skill than Tevez, but there's still that sort of... Tornado in a jam jar about him um, that I, I really like, and and I think of course Barcelona are going to be disappointed that they that they didn't win, but I think it's important and, and I know Lawrence touched on this briefly that we do kind of sh- you know break things up a little bit because this is the first time since I want to say 0809 that two of um, Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Bayern Munich haven't been in the semis.
0: Well, that's the thing. I mean, uh, on what you said there, Lawrence, is it the end of a campaign for Barcelona or is it the end of an era as you're saying as Chris is saying there I mean it's been a decade really where they've been dominating Europe it's the second successive season now where they failed to qualify for the semi-finals of the Champions League you know domestically we're looking at Real Madrid potentially set to win their first league title since 2012 you know Los Blancos could go six points clear with a game in hand if they win this weekend's massive El Clasico clash how much are we reading into Barcelona crashing out of the competition at this stage once again?
2: Well, I mean, it's, it's certainly something to crash out at this level um, and at this, this stage against another team who are very tactically well set up. But I think they were exposed. And the fact that, you know, they had to come back from a massive uh, deficit in the first place probably shows a lot about the team. I think it also shows that they're a lot easier to work out than um, maybe they were before. Uh, and, you know, they've left themselves a lot more open. Um I think they also were quite fortunate last night not to be broken on quite a lot because it's clear that you they obviously set up to break um, and obviously they set up uh, to, to, to have a goalkeeper who's able to sort of rush out quickly and they have a, a back line who's able to deal with that. But at the same time, I think it does make sense that Barcelona um, spent a lot on the front line and don't seem to have rejuvenated in the way that you would have wanted them to at the back. In many ways, I'm, I'm sort of glad that they're at this level because it looks a bit like they sort of sold out of what their system was. Um, and if I'm completely honest I also think there's other people who have thought beyond where Barcelona are thinking right now Barcelona's thinking seems to be a lot more commercial um, and it seems that the other sides who are maybe behind them in the commercial wave and maybe that will come in time um, uh, are taking advantage of the fact that actually they, they played a much more pragmatic style of football than Barcelona proved able to play and maybe that's also partly down to the fact that I think the team have doubted their manager a little bit more, more recently uh, and that made it difficult uh, at times for him to transmit um, a coherent message to the players and sort of get them to pull together.
3: He's... I think Lawrence makes a really good point there about um, strengthening the attack, because if you look at it, Messi obviously was you know, home read, if you will, or academy read, but Suarez, Neymar... Barcelona's transfer strategy has very much been about we'll just buy this game changer and put them up front and we'll outscore you rather than um, perhaps building a, a team in in the same way that we look at with the the Guardiola iteration and things like that. So it, it's been an interesting shift and I think that the problem they've had since they've had guys like Andre Gomez come in who were signed for big money but doesn't fit. And that's the problem is I think they spent a lot of money to buy attackers that fit the system and were game changers. But when it's come to other aspects of the field, notably the, the centre of the, the park, I think it's been so much harder for them to be able to shop and buy that kind of perfect fit player without being able to spend, let's say, the to get Paul it Can I also be uh, quite frank
2: as well about the way that the Italians or the way... Um- the way the Italian media or, or the Italians themselves sort of see the rest of Europe, and I think in many ways, uh, some of them are quite frustrated that Conte is only just getting his, um, you know, recognition, having gone to Chelsea. Um, it, on the rest of the continent, I know that he didn't do very well in Europe with with Juventus, and that was for uh, a number of reasons. And you know, he obviously uh, hung himself out to dry. Um, but but the point is also they they see themselves as frustrated that Pep Guardiola was getting all of this um, this great press and Barcelona getting all this great press. Well, they felt that actually um, you know, and I know I'm not the first guy to discover this, but sort of, you know, the Italians were working on their own um, pragmatism and their own systems and uh, in many ways working on their own art of football. And No one really seemed to be recognising that. And what was very satisfying was to see that there seemed to be very little frustration in this Juventus team last night. And they, they were satisfied to sit back and let them come at them and and break on them, and because they see their counter attack and their defence differently to the way that maybe you know um, an, an English side would, there, there was very little panic uh, when Barcelona were attacking, and there was something immensely satisfying about that because, again, very different to the way that the English uh, or maybe the La Liga uh, players would play them.
0: Finally, on Barcelona, Dave. I mean, as the guys are saying, there, it's hard to escape the feeling the squad. Has stagnated. Too many average signings potentially to to replace some of the uh, the stalwarts of the the Guardiola era side. It does feel like a crucial sum of Barcelona, not only in the transfer market in that respect, but also in terms of picking the right successor to Luis Enrique. Now,
1: I think it's slightly reductionist saying that it's just down to Barcelona signing strikers and, and going with the attack. I think that the, prob- the problem, one of the problems they do have, is the the depth of the quality in the attack, not only. Um, with the struggling signings of players like Gomez in in central midfield that just hasn't quite worked out, and there could have been youth prospects that were kept at Barcelona and used, like Munir, Sandro, you know, players that have gone and and done some all right things elsewhere. Seems weird that they're they're getting the likes of Paco in, who's a striker from Valencia, and playing him, um, you know, out wide most of the time, not playing him his natural position. I think it's you know this Barcelona team, like the guys are saying, is. It's in transition now. I think there's some interesting position. Positionally as well, right back, I think it's the biggest problem. Obviously, Dani Alves moving to Juve and having a fantastic season. In fact, it's created more chances than any player for either Barcelona or Juve in the Champions League this season. But not replacing him was a big one. Vidal came in, looked very good at Sevilla, but unfortunately hasn't made the step up to Barca. Sergio Roberto had a good spell at the start, but is a central midfielder playing at fullback that is a specialist position in this Barcelona team, so I think there is things that that needs to be addressed, and obviously the manager coming in next, obviously Pochettino would be the guy that they should get 100%, Pochettino would be perfect for this Mm. Barcelona team Unfortunately, Adam Pochettino's not going to go to, to
2: Barcelona, is he? I mean, he's already said he's never going to go there. He's a bull,
1: he said. I think there's been there's been stranger things that have happened in football. Vigo going from Come obviously on, Barca to Rail. Yeah, no,
2: no, no. So different. We're never going to see Yeah, it. But I, gar- I guarantee you,
1: I will dye my hair blonde if
2: Pochettino goes to Barcelona.
0: Ooh. What? <laughs> Whatever. Ever, full stop.
2: Mate, he's he's not going to Barcelona. Ooh, okay, well, just, I told just you a so.
3: bit of context on the Vigo thing. Um, Real Madrid bought the right to to sign him for a, a certain fee and if he, if he turned them down, they had to pay they, being Figo and his agent <clears throat> had to pay Real Madrid an absolutely exorbitant fee so he was actually really strong-armed into, to go into Real Madrid so if you watch, you uh, Max, it did a pretty decent video outlining the story and the fact that really if it wasn't for Figo's agent being a bit daft and, and taking um, a small paycheck that he shouldn't have None of that would have would have ever happened.
0: Let's move on to Monaco free. Borussia Dortmund nil, six free on aggregate. It ended reaching the semi-finals. Monaco for the first time in thirteen years, uh, beating Borussia Dortmund. Of course, another impressive performance from Leonardo Jardim's side, uh, not least of which from Kylian Mbappe. Dave, who continues to turn heads, breaking records? Now the youngest player to score in both legs of a UEFA Champions League quarter final is a bit good, isn't
1: he? I think yeah. I don't think it's a surprise if you watch Mbappe, if you watch Monaco frequently this season, you'll understand that Mbappe is bigger than what people are making out. He is in fact better than the the press are giving him. He's he's, he's got everything: talent, balance, agility. He's actually speed. underrated, isn't I think? say he's a little bit underrated for his age. I think he's he's even better. What now? Wow-y. he's scored what twenty? four goals this season or something crazy like that and you know the top scorer in the champions league knockout stages this season or was joint with ronaldo i just think he, what his performance again um against dortmund just highlighted more of his skills his strength his ability to hold defenders off his interplay it was just absolutely fantastic his speed the best moment was on like the 63rd minute where He took on Socrates one-on-one and basically knocked the ball past him, ran past him. Uh, Socrates got back. But the the great part about the next bit of play was he opened himself up, waited for the correct moment, saw that. Touré on the other side had made an overlapping run, played a ball out wide to him, got himself into the penalty area and got a header on goal. It was so mature from an 18-year-old to have the awareness that he's beaten his defender, not to just go Ross Barkley, head down, uh, you know, the ball is going to go into the back of the net. It's that awareness that you don't have from a lot of players and it shows his game and his maturity that coming from being a wide player and having to assist teammates made have given him a great sort of uh, start in uh, being a striker and you do see that a lot if you if you look at Mbappe basically he's a, he's a wide player that plays through the middle, he's a hybrid of an attacker and a winger and um, that's why he's so dangerous for this side because when he pulls into the channels he's got the skills and has the vision to create you know chances for teammates or to obviously to score and he's just a fantastic talent, I don't think there's, he's the best young player in world football by a country mile at the moment, it'll be interesting to see him next season to see whether he He can stay on this form. Obviously, Marcus Rashford is another young player that's got a a similar trajectory to Mbappe, you know, exploding onto the scene, having a crazy chance conversion. Marcus Rashford's last season, at one point, was like 55%. and Mbappe's is around 30. It's a bit more consistent than Rashford already. Um, But Rashford obviously went for a sticky spell. Now he's back in form. But Mbappe, it'll be interesting to see how he gets across just
0: Any a bit more book consistent, book. yeah. Just a bit more. He's got the skills to pay the bills though, Chris. Um Monaco got a supremely talented young squad. El Tigre's back, of course. They're scoring goals for fun, they're on being at home in the Champions League this season. Can they win the whole bloody thing, Chris?
3: Yeah, definitely. Um I think their their attacking potential is is much discussed. I I don't think they're a bad defensive side either. That's that's the other thing. And and how much of that is facilitated. By the fact they have such a devastating attack, I'm I'm not so sure. I think that's perhaps a little bit dismissive of, of the likes of Glick, who really do hold that, that back line together. And the fact that their full backs are so incredibly athletic, so can go really up and down for, for a full 90 minutes. I, I think what will be interesting for me with this side, and, and Dave makes a, a very astute point about Mbappe's maturity, is... You are looking at a lot of players that have never been in this position before. And I appreciate it's an intangible and, and, and that kind of thing. But I look at the situation and say, how does someone like Thomas Lamar or Mendy handle handle a semi-final, maybe a second leg where there's a, uh, a, a big chance to, to either draw level or go ahead. That's the one thing where I'm a little bit unsure of because this is, is very much new ground for this Monaco team. Um, even if I, th- I think you can take a little bit of uh, a positive if you're a Monaco fan from the fact that they're doing, I would say, well in, in keeping alive their title hopes and, and fending off what is a, a very dangerous PSG side that even as recently as this week was able to score a ridiculous last-minute winner.
2: If I can cut in and just talk a little bit about young players and playing in uh, Champions League, those sort of things. What I've heard more recently is that a lot of clubs, especially sort of the big um, I don't know what to call them. So the Man City's, the Monaco's, the guys who are, they're not necessarily new money now, but you know, we know what their status is. Um, They're sort of selling the dream of being part of a great squad to these young players. Um, And essentially using a similar model to uh, the idea of the NBA, where you can bring in a couple of young stars, put together a run and win something. So, the experienced side is an important side, but I also think there's something that can balance that out, Chris, which is the idea that um you know a fairly young star like a LeBron James or a, a Dwayne Wade or someone like that can win something fairly early on and become an experienced player much earlier, maybe than we would have expected previous iterations of those players. And I think a lot of players are buying into that psychology, and I hear it's quite openly talked about within that community. You see the same. Um, Man City, who have bought Leroy Sane, Raheem Sterling, I heard was attracted by that kind of an idea, even if it wasn't overtly about the NBA ideas. So there's a lot of teams out there that are trying to do something very similar. It's, it's quite interesting to see because it's it seems quite fresh. You know, it's not it's not something that we've necessarily uh, considered before in Europe. And um, I think a lot of teams have gone to the States, worked out how models over there work, um, and are trying to apply a similar mentality, if not a system, to the models they have in Europe.
0: That's us talk about Dortmund, though. Um, Lawrence, again, a difficult game for them. Tom was too short, after the game. His we were in an awkward mindset, is how we described it. Uh, the team bus was delayed ahead of this game by police uh, due to security concerns by 20 minutes or so. Obviously, sort of uh, left them somewhat dazed. And you have to feel sympathy for Tuchel and his team, especially in hindsight with their understandably slow start to the match, uh, almost costing them, really. Yeah, we spoke about
2: this in the last week's podcast and I think Dave made some really good points that covers that. You can go back and listen to it. It was, um, it, you know, it, it's kind of difficult because football always has to move on and football to some extent is used as um, sort of a beacon of hope for a lot of people. So those players, um, I mean, the, the idea is those players are financially recompensed for going through uh, high-pressure situations but this is an unnatural high-pressure situation where it's about, you know, something which is actual life. You know, it's not just sort of, you know, the the, the fake idea of winning something and sort of being put down in history. It's that these players could have been wiped out from uh being to being, in, being able to play in this game so I, I you know i think that will have shaken a lot of people up um i you know that there is also the idea that monaco could have won this game anyway it also seemed it almost seems disingenuous to say that they weren't um tactically very well equipped in the first place but y- you would argue that this could maybe be a completely different tie if that hadn't happened um too before the game also said he felt that it had made the team stronger but you know, you, I think uh, either way in this, you probably can't put too much weight on his words because, you know, it's it, it's a terror attack. It's you know it's something fairly uh, ridiculous. What I do find really incredible is that there have been a lot of people in politics around that who have jumped on it to try and make points about, uh, and because it's obviously such a well-covered story, points about, um, you know, it being an Islamic terror attack. And, and I think more recently people found it was actually a right wing group that um, planted the bombs. So, you know, there's sort of uh, speculation both ways and I just think it's very unusual uh, to see the situation in football. And what I am surprised, I'm not surprised about is how poorly UEFA have dealt with it. Um, you know, I mean, they don't seem to deal very well with this sort of thing. Um, and, or at least on a human side, we discussed that on last week's podcast as well. Um, uh, you know, it's it's a difficult thing. You know, do, do you continue playing and sort of ask these players to play on, or do you give them a break and potentially sort of annoy a lot of sponsors? Um, you know, you sort of imagine that a, a good sponsor would say, "Well, we're willing to wait," but a lot of people have got their plans set out already, I and mean, we all know that in the industry. So, you know, there are humans, or there's you know thousands of people who are waiting to see a football match. And I think a lot of people who hold these guys up would rather know they were happy, you know, crash out of a competition for a very unnecessary reason.
0: Very true. Very true. Uh, Elsewhere this week in the Champions League on Tuesday night, we had Real Madrid. Controversially, I think it's fair to say, Dave, overcoming Bayern Munich, winning 4-2 on the night, 6-3. Mate, it's all
2: about Snapchat and and Instagram stories in the post-game. That's what it's about. Is that what it's about? Yeah, Vidal and who else was posting... Um Fidel I think it was th- Frank Ribery yeah. both posted pictures on their in- on their Instagram stories or their Snapchat stories where it's a like nice annotated the line, stories, yeah. the line where uh, Ronaldo was clearly onside according to the curved line that they both posted. <laughs> I thought that was quite entertaining.
0: Well, That's the thing, isn't it? Um Can they be the-
2: fine for that?
0: Uh, no, I think it's just a bit of just a bit of fun. You know, is it fun? It's a bit of banter. Um, but the oh. refereeing decisions. Oh dear! It's all popping off there. Um, the refereeing decisions, though, Dave, completely ruined the Gosh, game.
2: The is coming for me! Help!
0: <laughs> They're calling it uh, the scandal of the Burnabout. You know, the biggest robbery in football history. Um, the referee, of course, uh, deciding to send off Arthur Riverdale for a perfect tackle. Uh, Maybe Casemiro should have been seen red before that, uh, and also failing to spot the offside for not one but potentially two of Ronaldo's goals.
1: I think it's an interesting one. I think the I think each situation that you just mentioned there is a completely different situation. First off, if we talk about the the yellow card um, that Vidal got, um, the second yellow. For me, the referee was in a pretty poor position, probably needed a bit more help from his linesman, maybe the fourth official. The linesman was behind him on the opposing touchline. So the fourth official, who would have been in the technical area that was on that side of the pitch, should have given him the heads up there. Unfortunately, it looked very lungy from Vidal. It looked like the, the ball, the trajectory of the ball didn't change. And that's a big thing when it comes to refereeing about whether you think the tackle's won or the player has just been taken out. If you think about the referee's got the angle from behind, Vidal lunges in. And unfortunately, Vidal had a terrible game again. He lost his head. He lost it. It was was similar to the Champions League final where he got booked for tackling Busquets inside like 15 minutes. It's one of these things where Vidal, yes, it's good to have someone that's ultra-aggressive, but Casemiro played it so much better. Yes, Casemiro could have been sent off, but if you go back and look at the consistency, Vidal commits a foul on Casemiro that's the same type of tackle that Casemiro committed on to Robin, but at a worse degree, where he kind of flips Casemiro and he doesn't get booked for that. So unfortunately, the consistency of the refereeing there to not book Casemiro the, set the time that he does it is absolutely fantastic. And fine for me. In terms of the two to side decisions, the referee's got it wrong. Maybe video technology can be helpful there. In defence of the linesman for the first one with Ronaldo's really offside, Casemiro makes a run on his side. No, not Casemiro, sorry. Carvajal makes a run on his side, which potentially would take his attention away from watching where Ronaldo is. So it's one of these things where that would be rectified by video ref. But I think the, the overall refereeing potentially wasn't quite good enough.
0: Talk to me about Marcello, Dave. I mean, Cristiano Ronaldo getting all the headlines. All right, he scored a perfect hat-trick. All right, he got 100 Champions League goals. But the Brazilian left-back surely was the man of the match for Zinedine Zidane's side.
1: Uh, yes and no. I think Ronaldo was the standout player, to be quite honest. Again, another hat-trick, like you mentioned, is the 100th goal was just unbelievable and played through the middle, which again is going to be the evolution of Cristiano Ronaldo uh, with the rumours of Eden Hazard going to Real Madrid. Ronaldo may be playing as a striker next season and that would be his natural trajectory as his pace goes a little bit slower and he's just going to be around the penalty area. His finishing was brilliant. You know, don't take it away that his goals were offside. His finishing was absolutely fantastic. His header for the first goal, fantastic header. Left foot, right foot. A perfect hat-trick from a perfect player. But Marcelo, like you mentioned, was brilliant. The best left-back in world football by a country mile at the moment. The interesting thing, if you go back to the weekend when Real Madrid's B team were playing, supporting um Ronaldo uh, wasn't in the squad, Bale wasn't. Benzema wasn't in the squad on the bench. There was Kroos, Modric and uh, Marcelo. Who does Zidane go to change the game, to turn it from a 2-1 um, you know, losing position to a winning position? He goes for Marcelo. He doesn't go for the central midfielders. He knows how important Marcelo is, not just defensively, but on the counter-attack as well. I loved how Marcelo was celebrating winning tackles. That clearance he made on eight minutes to block a um, Thiago shot that was going in. But also, obviously, his attacking play was fantastic. Created more chances um, than any other play on the pitch. Eight, in fact, which was more than Robin, Lewandowski and Rivery managed combined. So it was a brilliant performance. One of the best left, left full-back performances or left wing-back performances we're ever going to see in Europe.
0: Wow. Big praise indeed. That's what I was looking for. Um, what about Bayern, Chris? Because, obviously, since that defeat... A lot of post-mortems being written about this, uh, this Munich side. Philipp Lahm and Xabi Alonso, of course, retiring at the end of the season, making their last appearance in the Champions League. Uh, we've obviously got Frank Ribéry and and Robin as well in the latter stages of their career. Is it fair to make an assessment on that level about, again, like we're talking about Barcelona, the end of an era almost for Bayern Munich? Or is there a level of jumping to conclusions after a tie where, despite the result, you could argue Bayern were potentially the better team in a tie distorted by the refereeing decisions?
3: Whew, there's a, a great question. I, I think this buy-in team is certainly in a period of transition because you have the likes of Lam and Alonso, as you touched on there, uh, leaving at the end of the season, and they will need to be replaced because in, in very different ways, in their own ways, they're influential figures. The, the Robin-Ribery uh, dynamic, I think, still has legs in it, just. Um, I don't think it's a, a pressing concern. The thing for me at the minute is I still think that the uh, Bayern Munich Academy needs to be putting something into this team because if you look at Alaba and and Muller, I mean, they need a break, I think, first and foremost. They've played an insane number of games these last few years. But when you look at them, it's been a while since they were, you know, the, the babes of the piece. And I think... I can't help but look at the situation and say, Well what's you know, what have you done for me lately essentially with this Bayern Academy? And I think the the thing with Ancelotti is everything about him says it's a short term measure because if you look at his career, it's very rarely a long term stay for him at a football club. He's he's brought in usually to do a job and I think in this instance it was to win them a Champions League because that for them is, is seen as a, a marker of achievement within within Europe. For the next step for them, it's a difficult one because they've bought a lot of players domestically, usually the best players, the 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 Gautzes, the Hummels, etc. But I don't think it's delivered that quite elite level that they want. And they have Lewandowski, who for me still is is probably the the real standout in that team. But I, I don't see them as as harsh as the referee was, and I disagree with with Dave about Casemiro. I thought he should have been. Uh, handed a, a red card because he was just doing pretty much what Vidal was doing. Um, it doesn't change the fact that I don't think this team would have won the, the Champions League, even if they had gone through.
0: Dave, I mean, would you agree with that? Because as Chris touches on, Carlo Ancelotti potentially brought in to, to win this competition. They, of course, haven't won it since Jupp Henker's uh, retired uh, with that fantastic treble. Uh, what is next for this team? Is Ancelotti going to be able to... Th- take them to success in this competition next season, potentially?
1: Yeah, 100%. You know, they've just bought the two best players in the... Well, two of the, the better players in the Bundesliga this season, Nicholas Schülen, um Ruddy from Hoffenheim, two of the... You know, one of, a, a fantastic young ball-playing centre-back potentially could have been used... Um, in the Champions League tie and is just going to come in and replace Javi Alonso, they, they've already made the play for next season. Uh, you could potentially see this as a transitional period away from Pep Guardiola's style, which is difficult to do, um, how he is so confined as an attack and defence. Barcelona, sorry, Bayern Munich had too much possession, really, yesterday. Uh, not yesterday, on Tuesday evening. It wasn't enough with the ball that they had. They didn't create enough chances. I blame the midfield shape, potentially. They've been playing a two uh, with one ahead, usually in the Champions League, with Thiago a little bit ahead of Vidal and Alonso, which has restricted Vidal. Um, and he didn't do that, unfortunately, against uh, Real Madrid. So that was one of the mistakes, maybe, for Ancelotti. I think in terms of the wide players, there could be some movement there with Ribéry and Robin getting a little bit older. Maybe there's the next level there. That might be the big place they need to make signings in the summer is getting a, you know, a very good wide forward to partner Douglas Costa on the other side if they want to move on. But it is all about Lewandowski not playing that first leg. That is a big factor. Lewandowski this season has been fantastic. And him missing... Bayern lost a lot in that first leg, so it was difficult for them to play you know, one of the legs without their best player this season. So again, next season, they'll be absolutely fantastic. And with the signings they've already made, maybe reverting to a 3-5-2, Kimmich coming in as well to the side, whether he's playing Lahm's position at uh, right back or they sign someone like Benjamin Hendricks, who's done very well for Leverkusen this season. Bayern are in, an, in an absolutely perfect shape. There's no no worries there. And obviously, the referee in, uh, did affect the game.
0: Mm. Uh, also on Tuesday, night, we had... Brave Leicester-Lawrence. Uh, the fairy tale is over for them uh, after South scored the opening goal. Uh, it ended one all in the end. Jamie Vardy pulled one back, but they needed another two goals at least to send them through. It was always going to be tough against a side who have conceded three goals in their past 10 matches. They did create their chances, Lawrence. 17 shots in the second half, but in the end, a miracle too far.
2: I think it was too little too late, really. Um, they came on in the second half, gave it a really good try. Yeah, I just think they were, I mean, you know, they were tactically out-thought. By. Advanced version of them, um, and obviously a more expensive version of them as well. Um, although, you know, obviously they're quite close in pricing. Um, the, the, the point is with Leicester, I think, you know, we always knew that it was going to run out of uh, momentum in the end. Uh, there's only someone to make a chop around on that. And I think if we're going to be sort of critical in the post-mortem of buy-in, then we probably need to be critical in the same way with Leicester. Um, you know they made the best of the resources that they had, um, but you know it, they 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 went out in the end, and it's a cup competition, so um, they're not going to be in it every season. They're not going to be in it next season either. And you'd argue that maybe they sacrificed some of um, some of what they could have been putting into the league um, for for the Champions League. So.
0: It's an interesting one, isn't it, Chris? Because I mean Craig Shakespeare came out after the game and talked about how this taste of the Champions League has made them hungry for more, you know. Them. What are you talking about? This is what Craig what Shakespeare you said, saying? mate. No, he said what is Craig Shakespeare saying. He said what? he's they've had their debut season, mate. They're coming back. They're coming back next season, mate. They're going for right, the well, top four. We all know
2: that's thoroughly unrealistic. No, but what, what I'm, I'm saying, saying is what, are, say?
0: what do you think is a fair sort of aim almost? Craig, What's Craig, a fair yardstick or Craig? Are you saying you're getting back <laughs> into the
2: Champions League, Craig? Are you all right? There's six very competitive top six teams there, not even including Leicester, not even including the likes of Everton. And he's talking about the Champions League. Your team's barely stayed in the Premier League this season, mate.
0: I agree with you. I mean, just because you get the taste of caviar you know, or something. doesn't mean you're going to get it every week just because you like the taste. Um, no, but you don't
2: have to compete for the caviar in a knockout round.
0: The metaphor's gone too far. It... But what, what do you think they can expect, Lawrence? Because it's been, obviously, uh, an insane, what, 24 months, 25 months for, for, for Leicester, obviously, escaping relegation, winning the title in the Champions League, making it through to the quarterfinals. Let's not forget, next season, if Craig Shakespeare maintains the job, whoever comes in, where do you think is a good aim for Leicester is it mid-table is it pushing towards that sort of top six seven
2: I think the team let it go to the heads during the season and I think uh, you know Nico's made some really good points on other podcasts as has Dave um, but I also think it's about execution for a lot of these players and I don't think they executed nearly as well as they did in the previous seasons or previous season sorry I'm not talking about a long-term uh, dynasty here from, from uh, Leicester half um,
0: of the season before
2: yeah I mean yeah yeah you could even argue that um you know, there's a lot of teams that do this, and it, uh, you know, Ipswich did it a few years ago. Um, a lot of sides sort of get into the heady heights. It goes a little bit too far, and they ultimately find that in the long run it sort of doesn't benefit the club. Fortunately, these guys are backed by, you know, a multi millionaire, if not a multi billionaire, so they can, can sustain some of that loss. But you'd argue that the Leicester fans will be disappointed. I mean, I know, it, I know we're all, oh, it's great, it's a great journey, blah, blah, blah. It will surely
0: you, it would be also great if you could build something that you can build from in the future. It's not a journey, um, Lawrence. It's a fairy tale. TM. That's what you have to call it. Um, bullshit,
3: do it? you think... It's really not the one a lot of ways, if I'm honest. Like, the right-back beat up his girlfriend. The star striker is a massive <laughs> racist. You're ruining the fairy tale, Chris. <laughs> oh, yeah. fairy terrible. tale my ass. The thing is, right, I get it from a, from a fan's perspective. They won the league. Amazing thing. Brilliant stuff. But as I just said, The right-back's an absolute charlatan of a human being. The striker's not much better. And they all down tools to shaft the manager that got them into the Champions League in the first place. What
0: do you think is next? What are you saying, Chris? Yeah. (laughs) Tell us how you really feel. Um, Chris, do you think... Craig Shakespeare is going to stay on. Do you think he's done enough for the job then? I mean, do you think there's going to be the same question mark maybe this summer over those key players like Jamie Vardy, who you're obviously such a, a massive fan of, and maybe Riyad Mahrez? You now, obviously, as Lawrence touches on, they've had an inconsistent season this year. Do you think there's going to be more upheaval this summer or are they going to be able to keep those players and build from that?
3: In fairness, I've got nothing against Mahrez. Um But for the Yet. next step for them is, is, uh, is all down to the owners because there was very minimal change in the summer, really. Kante went out, Mendy came in. And so the thought was, now we should, if not be able to replicate, because it was an absolute outlier of a season, that one, at least maintain where we're at. <clears throat> but they actually regressed massively. So if they take the, the small sample size that is Shakespeare's league form, you would say, OK, well, that's a, a good side. We're probably finishing the top half. The owners sound very ambitious, and I remember they were pretty much laughed at when they said they wanted to make Leicester a Champions League side within, I think it was five years, they said. That, to me, points to potential spending and a potential new manager. And equally, you could argue for as as good as this season looks like finishing for Leicester, because, you know, they've had a decent little Champions League run that doesn't look like they're going to go down, you could argue a, a brand new managers, some new players, it just reinvigorates everything. whereas if you were to keep everything that stands, there's a good chance you're doing the same thing in about 12 months that you were were doing here um, with a point in Shakespeare and all that kind of stuff. So if it was me personally, I'd be tempted to go out and actually use the the cloud that you've got in terms of financially, but then also the fact that I would imagine, Leicester can now um, talk to much better players than they could maybe 18 months ago. It'd
0: be interesting if Shakespeare does leave. I don't imagine many teams are going to be in a rush or many managers are going to be in a rush to hire him as their number two. But um, yeah, it remains to be seen that one. Uh, what about Atletico Madrid, Dave? Because obviously it's their third semi-final in four years now. Do you think maybe this year could be the year they finally go all the way?
1: I hope so. And they're the only team that could potentially uh, beat this this wonderful rail side. But it, it's it's been brilliant, you know, playing uh, someone like Jose Jimenez in central midfield to negate Leicester City's um, obvious attack down the flanks with crosses into the box. It's one of these things that it was a it was fantastic in a tactical sense from Simeone again playing the likes of Carrasco and uh, Griezmann as two strikers. It was just absolutely perfect, and I really hope that someone like Gabi wins the Champions League. He deserves it. He really does. You know, He's been a great servant for them over the last few seasons. He's got to two finals and lost both of them. This is the time that Zinedine Zidane's uh, Real need to take a bit of a, a defeat, and with Griezmann in form and then the likes of uh, Carrasco, coke as well. He was brilliant coming in from the left flank, coming into number 10, almost playing as an attacking midfielder behind the two strikers. It's just a fantastic team, and a uh, a team that's hopefully will go on to win the title this season because they do deserve it.
0: Well, that is the UEFA Champions League quarterfinals wrapped up. Excited to see the draw for the semifinals tomorrow. For now, let's move on. It's my favourite part of the show. It is the questions. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. So many questions. Let's get straight into them. First up, Bobby, as I mentioned earlier, leaving somewhat of a review, more of a question on iTunes. Here's what he has to say. Uh, I don't get why the MLS, MLS, mate, gets so much airtime on this pod. There are at least 10 leagues better. For example, the Portuguese league is much better and gets almost no airtime. I just can't wrap my head around the MLS MLS business model. First of all, the complete lack of youth academies and instead of using a draft system, which is baffling, the draft works well. There are
3: youth academies?
0: Okay, point number one. You can, you can keep jumping in on like that, Chris. That's good stuff. Uh, the draft works well in the NFL slash NBA because you get a good stream of quality players which have under the tutelage of great coaches and they train in good facilities. Any thoughts on that one?
3: Uh, facilities at colleges are still fairly decent actually the what, made, what, what, do,
2: what do you want do you want them to just start off and just be like right here's amazing facilities straight away we've got everything let's just do it it doesn't make any sense just let let them develop like it, the problem is in the past they just didn't obviously we don't remember when these guys when the nfl or nba was setting these things up because we barely remember when the nba was stopping players from dunking because it was because basically they wanted to stop black players from doing the best things that they could at that time. So, I mean, if you want to compare leagues, then let's talk about how far MLS has come in the same time that other leagues have come. I, I think they've, they've gone on leaps and bounds, surely.
0: Mm, there's still more. There's still more to come. College soccer is rubbish and the facilities and coaching are dreadful. The MLS owners are also incredibly cheap at times. And if you want to prosper in a situation like that... In brackets, Benfica, Zagreb, etc. You need a great academy. My second point has to do with the owners being cheap. Why are they not trying to attract good players under thirty with financial incentives like China? Instead, they buy fifty-seven-year-olds like Drogba or mediocre players.
3: Mm. <coughs> um, <laughs> see, I think if this, I think if this was a comment eighteen months ago, I'd have, pro- I'd have probably nodded my head more because. <clears throat>
2: you nodded the- your head less?
3: The the thing is, they're not, to quote the... What was the person's name? Sorry, I missed it. Bobby. it uh, Bobby. 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 They, they're not getting 57-year-olds. The As I said just just the other the day on the podcast, the actual average age of foreign players has dropped to 26. Now, in terms of quality, in, in inverted commas, that's very much dictated by a salary cap. And part of the reason that that salary cap is in place is because, the, unfortunately, football as a sport in the States is still a bit of a loss leader. So you can't just go out and spend what you want. Otherwise, you'll have a situation like the NASL in the 70s, which was forced to fold because they were spending massively over what they should have been. So the, the need for, for financial self-governance, if you will, is why you have a salary cap. Um, is it ideal? Of course not. But then I think it's given careers to players that might not have been given a chance because you'd see something whereby, like the Premier League, people would just bus in foreign players believing they were better. And it doesn't allow for those perhaps late bloomers to get that opportunity. I appreciate why he doesn't like the league. That's fine. I think, you know, I'm guessing he's a fan of the Portuguese league given the the fact that he references that. Um, I I just, I think that there's this very weird series of of opinions about mls that just don't ever wash away no matter what happens it's got a very pre-established perception that still is very prevalent today even if it doesn't actually hold much water and and the point i make with that is you know uh drogba because the thing is if you if you look at him he was still doing it for chelsea six months before he came to montreal I didn't see people question why is why are Chelsea wanting all these you know thirty odd year old players? Why aren't they going out and getting really young, exciting guys? It's it's a, a very because they put them all out on
2: loan, Chris.
3: <laughs> yeah, and I mean, look, that's <clears throat> that's the thing. I think what's changing as well. If you look at someone like Brooks Lennon, who is um, officially still with Liverpool. He's in their uh, development squad, but he's on loan at. Um, real Salt Lake this season there's a guy who I think is 2021 and has decided to come back home to play because he realizes that playing in Liverpool right now he's only ever going to see development squad games so I think what MLS is doing or what it's slowly becoming in the minds of some players is yes a good chance to live somewhere where the culture is uh, very enjoyable um, more so than China for obvious reasons But then also, it's actually a bit of a development league. So I think it's starting to shift much younger in terms of not the stars, but also the kind of players at the tracks too.
0: Great answer. Great answer, Bobby. Hope that satisfies um, your question. It's an interesting league. We don't, think. We don't cover Portuguese football because it's shit. I think uh, MLS what is an next interesting league. Joking. It's developing a league. Just... It's interesting to talk about. We've got a lot of listeners from the United States as well. We enjoy hearing about, um, uh, enjoy hearing from Chris mainly uh, his coverage of MLS. So I think, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep going with that. Just tune out for those parts, Bobby. Um, next up, we've got uh, David Shanahan sliding into the DMs. He said, Is there a player at your club who has left? you wish had gotten more of a chance. Personally, I'd like to see Alberto Moreno be kept next season. Um, would you like to see Moreno still at Liverpool next season, Lawrence? And is there a player no, who's already been long? <laughs> is there a player who's <laughs> um, left then, uh, let's say in the last season or so, that you wish had sure. gotten more of a chance at the cup. Maybe in the last
2: decade, Javi Alonso. Uh, I think, I mean you know, Moreno's fine attacking-wise. It's a bit of a weird... I mean, you know, it's it's an unusual week to make that point about Moreno when he sort of missed the goal from wherever and had more options. Um, But, I mean, I I guess I'm not too sentimental about Moreno. I know he's worked hard and I know he's got... You know, he seems like a lovely guy. seems like a lovely player. I just think if we are upgrading the squad, then Moreno is probably going to be one of the first players you'd look to upgrade because he doesn't serve the left back function and he doesn't serve the left wing function which Klopp probably wants to play uh, more more often than not um, so yeah I mean I, if I could I'd get back Alonso maybe or um, yeah. I mean there's not that many players if we're all completely honest who have left Liverpool recently where you think we're
0: really going to miss him yeah you're right um, what about Manchester United Dave is there anyone you wish uh, the club had held on to a little bit longer woof
1: you know, obviously the Paul Pogba situation is a is an interesting one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Someone like Giuseppe Rossi, unfortunate, went down to injury. He was a, such a talented player, um, but yeah, I think the the club makes the right decision. It moves forward. Someone like Carlos Tevez potentially given more of a, a prominent position in the squad as well after the Champions League win could have been a good option. But you know, things move on. Football clubs move on.
0: Um,
2: I think what Dave meant to say there was. Bebe, I wish we got him back.
0: Yeah, Uh, good old Bebe. Um, (laughs) Solomon says, should Wenger stick with three at the back or is it too late in the season to implement this system properly? What do you reckon, Dave? I
1: think it's all right. I think it worked quite well. I think the players that have played there before, Ramsey's played in the system for Wales. I think the centre-backs, because they are quite poor 1v1, um, apart from Koscielny, it works out quite nicely. it gives them an extra man there, they've got the players to play wing tactically it's the correct system to go at the moment given the trends in the Premier League in terms of counter-attacking a 4-4-2 uh, build-up versus a four-four-two, kind of makes sense for me, uh, it's a good system and I think a lot more teams will adopt it next season and whether Wenger does keep it could be quite interesting, it's a good tactical move from the Premier League that needs a lot of work considering I think if Juve win the Champions League and United don't win the Europa League Potentially, Italy may have the extra spot in the Champions League next season.
0: Or in 2018-19, I think it is. That'll be the day. Um, Good question here from The Shining Ocean. What do we think of the PFA team of the season? Uh, If you haven't seen that today, it was released earlier, uh, voted for by players in the Premier League. Um, In goal, somehow, is David De Gea. Not too sure about that. Dave, would you agree with David De Gea in eh,
1: He'sn't had the best season he's ever had at United. He's been alright. Um again, these these awards are always done on how players how a player's perceived to play by players. And I just don't think it's the it right appears. thing. David De Gea yeah. versus you know, Lloris, who's had another fantastic season. I'd probably go Lloris yes. over De Gea, to be quite honest. I don't think he's been United's best player by a country mile.
0: Yeah, that's true. We uh, have got David Luiz and Gary Cahill as centre-backs, interestingly. Um, Kyle Walker and Danny Rose, uh, full-back. Kante and Ali in the middle. Sado uh, Mane and Eden Hazard out wide. And Harry Kane and Romelu Lukaku up top. I think uh, the most contentious... Is potentially the exclusion of
1: Alexis Sanchez that seems
0: to be a, be a bit controversial. Zlatan as well. No, um, that's
1: fair. Again, these players are dropped off. I think I think Sanchez, if he kept his form going, would be on twenty five goals now. But you know, for whatever reason, falling out of Wenger, not signing this deal, not being playing as a striker anymore, it's fair, absolutely fair. I think that's absolutely fine. Yeah, I'd enough. say the the two Manchester United central midfielders are unlucky to miss out in the uh, in the team though. Obviously, really, Paul Pogba. Yeah who, uh, in fact, uh, you know, if you compare him to against other Premier League central midfielders, Adam, this season, he's created the most chances, completed the most dribbles, won the most duels and completed the most passes. So what else can a central midfielder need to do? But of course, it's Ander Herrera, the big guy, who uh, this season got more assists than Kante, completed more passes per game than Kante and made more interceptions than Kante. So, Adam, you know, the facts don't lie.
0: You've answered the next question. Abdul said, does Herrera get the praise he deserves? More interceptions than Kante and he's better attacking. Um, you're in the firmly in the Herrera is better than Kante camp as uh, as your no, YouTube incorrect. output. My um, you <laughs> <described? laughs>
1: YouTube video says Adam. It says Herrera Click is a more bae. complete oh, player. Sorry, sorry, Com- complete, not better. It doesn't say Herrera well, versus Kante Who diff- is number one? It missing just a, says missing a trick
0: there, mate. To be honest.
1: I am missing a trip there, but as complete, I mean, all-round game, Uh, Ander Herrera is better than Aguilo Kante if you view all of the skills of a central midfielder. Kante is a specialist, a specialist ball winner, specialist at covering ground, specialist at moving back into position, but also pressurising the opponent. Ander Herrera has that in terms of his ability to intercept the play, different to Kante, but as good as Kante winning ball in the opposition's half, you know, and he can do it all. Man marking the man marking job he did on under her on uh, Eden Hazard sorry was unbelievable on himself you know, that showed that another quality awesome. of game ability to mark somebody out the game he can create that the through ball he played to Marcus Rashford he's just a more complete player and it, it's known and that's why when people were saying Kante's the best midfielder in the world it's absolutely stupid because there's <laughs> better midfielders that are doing everything oh. than Kante.
0: Did anyone,
2: did anyone legitimate actually say that... Frank
0: Lampard said it.
1: I think Frank Lampard was legitimate. <laughs>
0: actually say that he was the best Frank Lampard, opinion? mate, is a legitimate big, big box,
1: these guys, Lawrence. They must be legitimate. You've got to come up with
2: big opinions like that. But it was Robbie Savage, mate. Or was it his ping-pong guy?
0: At the same Probably time, I do feel, uh, you know, Kante obviously dipping in the last couple of weeks. People have gone a little bit overboard in terms of... It's almost like a backlash, you know, uh, when something gets... Uh, the hype becomes too much or the praise becomes overbearing. The, the backlash is inevitable and now it's coming against Kante in, the, in these last few weeks. I don't think that's reflective of his it, season, though, know, surely.
2: Chelsea's form has dipped over the last few weeks and the system
0: has... I know. Um, the gap's down to four maybe points. Maybe left him know.
2: exposed. But
0: then,
1: you know... A lot Kante of exposed. exposed. Kante was better last season. He did more last season. <laughs> he was more pivotal for Leicester City's title win than he is in this Chelsea side. I think, I think I they think, relied on I'm him I'm not saying well. he's a bad player. This is the there. thing. I'm not saying he's bad and I'm not saying he's not doing a role, but... He was more productive last season in terms of winning the ball back. That's a fact. Mm.
0: Facts. We do like facts. Um, Chris, this one's for you from Philip. Question for Chris. If he's on, he's on. Do you believe that Harry Redknapp, big Harry Redknapp, will be able to save Birmingham from relegation? Just three games, Chris.
3: Yeah, I I think he'll have that dead cat bounce.
1: Not the easiest start for him,
3: admittedly. He's got, I think, he's got Villa at the weekend, which is um, always a, a difficult game, uh, especially because actually Villa, I think, are pretty, pretty decent of late. But I, I think he'll be yeah. all right. Yeah.
2: He's already tapering expectations, though, isn't he? Sort of. Uh, yeah. Well, remember the previous manager only won two games in like twenty games or something. Uh, you know, one, I think and there's an actual quote where he said, "I'm not going to make us play like Real Madrid," and you know, people sort <laughs> really. well, yeah, well, yeah. Well, no one's expecting that, Harry. We're just hoping that you'll keep us up. It's an unusual one. I don't. Is he going to get a helicopter from Sandbanks every day, or is he sort of living? a bad seat,
3: to live in, is
2: it? Uh, yeah, apparently he's going to live in a local area, according to articles. So we'll see.
0: Here is two li- two linked questions, actually. First from Ryan Jenkins. He said, regarding transfers to big, uh, in quote marks, big clubs, what makes a big club? Surely the pinnacle. Of football is the UEFA Champions League why for example would players transfer from a club like Monaco to say Manchester United you know Griezmann going from Atletico Madrid three times in the semi-finals in the past four seasons why is he going to pitch up at Old Trafford Dave money <laughs> oh money money makes the
1: world deals, go deals sponsorship deals
0: exposure he's right he's well, well, maybe right why, why would you go why Manch- would he need Manch- Atletico Manch- right Manch- now he's
2: right?
1: Right?
2: Oh, Manchester United yeah it'd be
1: crazy well, I to go right now a a great team Yeah, but
2: also i it yeah but, i mean come on it i mean you know think, of, think of what you can do with um you know maybe uh, if Money. you go there, you can change you can change the trajectory of the oh, team right. you can add more to it you can do all sorts of things so i think new yeah it's you also know? it's also playing at manchester united i mean um, you know playing under jose Mourinho, playing alongside some of the best players in the world in pogba and uh, young Rashford, and you know, maybe if Slatan stays another season, there's a whole load of reasons. This is the thing, there's like a whole about, load of reasons outside of playing in the Champions League that a player would want to go to a club. You know? This the is what Ryan's saying, the though. He's saying, What makes which is makes... where you struggle with Manchester United.
0: <laughs> yeah, this is what Ryan's saying, though. What makes a big it's club a isn't League, is it the
2: history? Sorry, mate, oh, I, I didn't realize that winning the Premier League shaped an entire culture, but apparently it does at Manchester <laughs> oh, it United. Is. Yeah, it does. Oh, it's it's yeah, a yeah. winning culture, Lawrence. It's a winning yeah. culture at all yeah, of course. It is. So One, goes from the groundsman up to the manager. You're right, Dave. One that lasted long after Sir Alex left. Exactly. What makes you a know, big
0: David club, Moyes'
1: Dave. Community Shield beautiful?
0: Dave, what yeah. makes a big club? Is it a mix of uh, of success in a historical sense? You know, we've we've seen clubs like we've mentioned in Monaco and Atletico Madrid, Are these big clubs now.
1: I think it is the Champions League is the pinnacle, but it is, is also the history and is, is the culture, like Lawrence is saying. I'm only I'm only joking. Man United does have a big culture, big history, so it would be um, uh, you know an attractive. Place for someone like Antoine Griezmann that has been mentioned to be a Manchester United fan to move to. I think that's the big thing. It's it's dependent on what you know who you support because that technically should be the biggest club in the world, right? I support United. United is the biggest club well, in the world. The biggest club in the world for uh, Lawrence is Liverpool. The biggest club in the world for you, Adam, unfortunately, is Real Madrid because that's where all the good Spurs players go.
0: Yeah. Very, very well said. Uh, on the same note, Luke says, very interesting question. I think there's an obvious answer. Who is the most underachieving big club in Europe right now? Surely, Dave, uh, your club. The biggest <laughs> club in the world.
1: Well, we're about to win the Europa League, buddy. We're going to be saving the the English coefficient by ourselves. Would you, ourselves.
0: <laughs> would you yeah. like to make an well, argument? What about Spurs?
1: What happened to Spurs? Thursday, the Europa League.
2: Thursday you know morning. Think. Thursday morning. Please, Thursday morning. Tweet it bottle job at Statman Day because Statman <laughs> is actually assuming that Manchester United are going to go through in this one uh,
1: Friday morning Lawrence to be correct Dave, go back in enough. time <laughs> Dave, I'd
0: make the argument that
1: Spurs are sorry
2: Dave a... I, I assume that Manchester United are going to win the Champions League but uh, no, no, up, no, 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 not big enough it's like
1: Liverpool Liverpool yeah, I mean, think have made yeah, it to yeah. uh, Made it to the uh, what was the old school competition called? The Milk Where Cup. We had to qualify. No, the uh, Inter Toto Cup, Lawrence. They've not oh, made that this love year, have they? Love the, no,
2: it. they have not made the Inter Toto Cup. You're right, Dave. But then we we weren't so lucky to be uh, bought by some American multi-billionaires. Mm.
0: Oh, it's getting snipy, I like it, um, Dave. I suggest that Spurs, you know, are becoming a big club in the sense of challenging for the title, challenging for major honours, you know, consistently over the course of a number of seasons. Can you make an argument, though, as to why potentially there's another club out there who could challenge Manchester United for the the honour, albeit, um, you know, uh, difficult honour, of being the most underachieving club in Europe?
1: Yeah, well, I think Spurs' Big. mentality that Lawrence has, has spoke about is, is a bigger thing. But, you know, <sighs> someone's mentality that's really struggled in the last 13 years, and that's Arsenal. Haven't won a title in 13 years, struggle in the Champions League. What
0: about the FA
2: Cup? Uh, they it? could be the Do most
1: underachieving Cubs? right now.
2: Surely
0: it's so Chris's it team, them, but... the sleeping giants of Newcastle <laughs> United. He's not Sports going to agree or, or disagree. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm going to
3: dignify it with an answer, but I'm not
0: going to do. <laughs> I've got another question for you here, Chris, uh, from Ellis Cohen. Um, Bobby's going to be delighted with this one. How's Patrick Vieira done in MLS? Does Chris rate him as a tactician? What's his philosophy? And would replacing Steve Bold at Arsenal be a good move for Patrick?
3: Um, so he would be replacing him as assistant. Am I am I right in saying that? I think.
0: Yeah, I think that's what Ellis is is hypothesising here.
3: I think it might be a decent-ish move for Arsenal. I don't know if it'll be very good for for Vieira um, because at the minute he's he's obviously leading a team and building his own uh, you know reputation as a as a manager. Um, and I I think sometimes as a, an assistant you you don't really get. Credit for for what you might actually achieve. Um, so, yeah, maybe maybe not um, as a, an assistant, but yeah. Um, as for his his, men, his uh, approach and all that kind of stuff, as a as a man manager, having spoken to a few players, he's he's very hands on. He's very much someone that's trying to improve and and constantly raise the standard. Um, as a tactician, I, th- I think he's still in the. The, the research stage a little bit, because I, th- I think actually he's tried a few different formations. And I think this season, having briefly watched uh, New York City FC, they've been a lot more, I think, pragmatic towards the league in terms of the first season he was there, they were very much uh, possession oriented and, and wanting to, to keep the ball and, and kill their opponents with a 1,000 passes that was great, but they didn't really have the players to do it. Um, and so this season, they can hold the ball if needs be, but also they're trying to to transition quickly up the field. And I think they're a little bit more direct. You could even argue a little bit like the uh, famed Invincibles that Vieira was a part of.
0: Mm. Um, time is running out. So we've got time for two more questions. First up, Packed Mouse, lovely twin name there. He said, which remaining team needs the FA Cup the most? Of course, Tottenham taking on Chelsea in the FA Cup semi-finals on Saturday. Manchester United v Arsenal on Sunday. Manchester City, mate.
1: Sorry, Manchester City.
0: (laughs) Manchester City on Sunday. Uh, Of course, Dave, surely it's mm, Spurs maybe to cement their status as the best team in England as... They're now apparently known winning that silverware under Maurizio Pochettino's Sign of progress. Maybe Manchester City as well. A somewhat disappointing first season. For Pep Guardiola. We've seen Arsenal Wenger win it in recent seasons. It perhaps won't mean as much if they win it this season. And of course, Chelsea are likely to win the league. So maybe it's between Spurs and Manchester City as to who needs this more.
1: I think be. Yeah, I think it could be Arsenal. It'd be great for Arsenal because it'd be great. You know, another middle finger up from Wenger to the fans this season. But yeah, like you mentioned, Pochettino'd be great to build that. Sides winning mentality, which they've struggled with in recent years, Um, but also City. I think each one of those teams and the double for Conte—it's massive for each club. I don't think it's more important to one than the other. I think it's all equal playing field. They all need it as much as the other guy needs it.
0: Would you agree with that, Lawrence?
2: Um, I mean, obviously, uh, I I think mentality-wise, it will be an interesting one. Um, You know, if you can get a. A jab on another team or sort of show that you're looking in better form or sort of demoralize the other side in some way, maybe even continue to show how you can frustrate the other team a little bit. Uh, so another team's got the same blueprint that maybe Mourinho laid down or another tactically astute manager, then uh, maybe that's what the FA Cup's used for this season. Suddenly it's become relevant.
0: Final question this week is a real hug. Take day. your heels off. <laughs> Real. Sorry, I'm just <laughs> testing them out. What do you think? Oh.
2: Rewaldinger um, here Still
0: from No uh, Other Person 10. What's your favourite dinosaur? I'm very interested to hear Dave's answer.
1: Uh, Velociraptor. They do well in packs. Uh, technically a very um, good dinosaur at killing things. Um, yeah. You wouldn't want to fight a pack of those. That'd be probably your worst you know, T T-Rex has got small arms. You could probably outrun out it or outmanoeuvre a T-Rex not <laughs> a Velociraptor. I Absolutely it, done. <laughs> um... You know, lean, agile, good claws, good teeth. They've got it all, really.
2: Would you say the Velociraptor are the gig impressors of
1: the dinosaur world, Dave? No, I think they're a little bit more counterattacking. You know, they the, the T-Rex has thrown its might around, and then the Velociraptor, bam, ten of them, at the T-Rex's feet, it's game over. You know ah, what I mean? see,
2: I always thought Velociraptors were a bit more aggressive. So I think they, I I think they
1: are, in the arts. I think yeah. I think they would be. Uh, you know, Brusia Dorman, circa 2009 to 2013. That would sure. be a Velociraptor.
0: Am I right? Yeah. I think my least favorite dinosaur is Theresa May. Hey, topical oh. Oh.
2: Yeah, politics. It's yeah. funny you uh, say that, Adam, Netflix. because actually we were talking. We were talking last night on Nico's podcast about. Um, He's. We were saying. Well, I said, and definitely took the conversation down a route. He didn't want to take it uh, towards which uh, managers are like politicians. And we came up with it, well, I came up with the idea that um, Theresa May was a bit like Roy Hodgson.
0: Like, In what sense, she looks like that, an owl?
2: Well, she's, yeah, she looks a bit, yes, actually. But also she's got that sort of vaguely pathetic look, but every yeah. now and again, people sort of think. Yeah. yeah. And then she goes, yeah, um, Brexit means Brexit. And you're like, oh no, Roy. You have bought you bought Paul Konczewski for left back, Roy. <laughs> Um, which is the same oh. as essentially a hard Brexit. It
0: is, it is a great metaphor. Um, yeah. Guys, that brings an end to this edition of the Front Free QA podcast. Thank you so much for listening. It's been a pleasure to Do be not in your about ears.
2: Chris's favourite dinosaur,
0: you dick. Oh, go on, Chris. What's your favourite dinosaur? Calvin McKenzie. Whee! Brilliant. Whee! Whee! Favorite Kelvin yeah, McKenzie. Really? Yeah, lovely stuff. Um, favourite, though? Kelvin McKenzie. Guys, we'll be great. back on Monday with the weekend review. Some exciting games, not only the FA Cup. We've got El Clasico. What else have we got? Oh, lots of
3: exciting, interesting games. Um, it's the name I used to dance under.
0: (laughs) Chris, the Woolly Mammoth himself. Until Monday, where can the people
3: find you? Uh, At Mm, K-H-E-N-E-A-G. Funny
2: how to stand at Dick Lodocus.
0: Mm, He's gone there. Lawrence McKenna, where can people find you?
2: Um...
0: The front three, numeral three, love it. And statman Dave, where can people find yourself?
1: Mm, probably getting drunk on Saturday evening. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, around London somewhere. Find me. you will buy your new time. social media
2: platform. Is it? <laughs> yeah. 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 Find, find me
1: platform. in person, um, guys. Are
0: be- we doing the same when Spurs? go through to the final and crush Chelsea. Um, Hopefully that actually happens. Uh, Guys, we'll see you on Monday. Thank you so much for listening.